my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Coming up later, wow, sometimes companies just don't think. Wait till you hear today's clark moment, making it difficult for a student to get through school. And coming up yet later, your car getting updates just like your cell phone? It's absolutely what's happening and is going to spread through the automotive industry. I'm going to fill you in how it's going to change what driving is like for you. So do you know that when I've taken questions from people about buying a home, I've talked over the years about why when you buy a home, you should think of it as an ownership cycle of a minimum of seven years. And when you buy a condo, a minimum ownership cycle of 10 years. Now, why is it I've always said that? Because let's take the homes. There's enormous expenses involved when you buy a home and also enormous expenses when you sell a home. Figure just in round numbers 10 and 10. 10% of the cost of the home You end up paying all different kinds of ways when you go in, 10% out. But with a condo, I say 10-year ownership cycle because not only do you have the expenses in and out, but condo values are more unstable than home values. Condo values go up and down, up and down, and up and down at a greater cycle of change than home values do. So for safety for your wallet, You want to look at buying a condo for a decade, owning it for a decade, which is so ironic because usually when someone buys a condo, they buy it as kind of like a version of a a temporary home that they don't plan to be there very long, when the reality is being there longer than with a single-family home is the safer financial strategy. But I've always talked about this 7 and 10 And seven, historically, had been the typical length of time that people owned a home. But according to Redfin now, people are staying in a home 13 years on average. 13 years. There's a huge change in the marketplace. And so people are choosing to stay instead of move. It was very common for most of the time period from after World War II till last decade, that people would own a home for a period of time and then decide, you know, they wanted a bigger, better deal. They moved to something, new neighborhood, different schools, fancier house, they had kids, whatever, they wanted a new house. And then they'd move again and they'd move again. Or people used to be transferred a lot a lot more than they are now, from one city to another, to another, to another. And so people had home ownership cycles that tended to be very short. And people who were doing corporate reload tended to be protected when they moved because companies used to protect them on the sale of their old home when they moved to a new one. Today, most companies don't protect you on a corporate reload. 
But here's the untold story. When you stretch your ownership cycle like this to average of 13 years, the longer you stay in a home, the more profitable that home becomes for you because you're stretching the time period in your life that you're having to pay the expenses getting out of one place and getting into another. Now, there are times when you do want to move. If the neighborhood you're living in is going the wrong way, if it's going downhill, you don't want to stay too long in a neighborhood that's in decline. But generally today in U.S. real estate, neighborhoods are steadily getting better as people stay longer and spend more money on their homes, add on to them, do various improvements to them. And so the ownership cycle change makes us more like a lot of the rest of the world. And it's actually healthy for your wallet when you stay in place a longer period of time. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Paul. Hello, how are you? Great, thank you, Paul. How can I be of service to you? Well, I've heard recently of an app that says that they will pay you five cents per mile for driving with your phone locked, and I'm a little leery just on hearing about it, but I wanted to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so uh, it's there are actually a handful of these now. Which one are you asking about? The On My Way app. Okay, On My Way has been buzz about that lately. So On My Way actually does offer you credits towards purchases, generally not well-known places you're buying from. And if this catches hold, catches on, and they get some uh, traditional major retailers in the system, people will probably be even more interested in what On My Way is doing because a lot of us would like to be broken of bad habits looking at phones. I think about how often I'm driving. You can tell who's looking at their phone because they're weaving. I mean, we see it every day, right? Right. And so this is a way to give you an incentive so you don't do that. So I... I know there are some reviews of On My Way that have been negative, but I don't share the negativity of others. You know, they want to be able to use the money at Walmart or Amazon or who knows where that's not part of the system yet, but give it time. And, you know, even if there's no money, if it, if, if it doesn't materialize that the credits you get turn out to be useful for you, if it got you to a point where you're conditioned never to look at your phone while you're driving, that's a really good thing. Okay. Well, I put a lot of stock in what you say, so I appreciate that. Well, and, you know, this is an area I'm watching closely because if we can come up with um, market incentives that get people to stop looking at their phones that are positive market incentives instead of, seeing the flashing light of a police car come up behind you to issue you a ticket for being on your phone while you're driving, I think it'd be great. So give it a try till I hear otherwise. How's that? 
Yes, sir. Will do. All right. Have a great day. And let's hope they don't let me down in any way. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hey, Clark. How are you? Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Certainly, Chris. So you are another of the GE refugees I keep hearing from. That is right. Yes, I was offered. How many uh, years did you have with GE? I only had five years there, right? Right. And during the vesting period. So five years at GE and I was recently offered a a buyout uh, offer. Don't know if I should take it or roll those funds over into another investment vehicle. So you have, um, as I understand it, most people have been receiving letters with uh, different choices from GE. There's not one standard automatic choice. So you've been offered where they'll just give you um, a bounty for your five years of service there until you go have a nice life. Or they offered you the chance, I assume, to receive the actual pension down the road, and how much did they say you'd get per month at age 65? Okay, at 65, it's $1,300 a month. 1300 a month? And you only worked correct. there five years? That's right. That's right. Did you even remember you were going to have any pension from them? I did not. Yeah, I, I, I have not. not had a single person yet who was a shorter-term employee of GE who even thought there was ever going to be anything like a pension. There was like money just fell out of the sky when that letter showed up. That's right. And actually, Clark, I was actually only there four years and 11 months. But when the sale occurred of NBC to um, to Comcast, they vested all the employees right away. Wow. Yes. So uh, can I ask how old you are? I'm 50 years old. 50? Yes. And how much cash did they offer you up front? So the cash offer is 100000 There's also a benefit where I can take the payments at age 60, and that is $975 a month. All right. So I have, uh, in the reading I've done, only certain people have been getting the age 60 benefit letter. Okay. And that may possibly be the best of the options to take the age 60 instead of 65 Um, this one's tough because the one thing that usually doesn't make sense is to take the cash up front and it's just out of the sky having a hundred thousand dollars fall into your life seems like wow i should just take that right right but if you run what your lifespan likely is to be at age 50 and then figure how much past age 60 or 65 you're likely to live based on what expected life expectancy, that sounded redundant, what you're, right. uh, you, you knew what I meant, uh, yes. having reached age 50, it's usually a better idea to take the monthly check. And you're talking about taking, getting roughly $11,500 a year starting at age 60, and then uh, substantially more than that at age 65, you run the number of years it would take for you to outrun 100,000. It, it's really appealing taking the monthly check. That's correct. I just didn't know um, if it was, it was smart to take the, the payment. Should I not live those years out beyond 
Well, the odds are you're not going to know. I mean, that's why we say right. to people who say, wait, you want me to wait to age 70 to take Social Security? What if I die at 69 and I missed all those years I could have gotten a check? And I mean, I know it's flipped to say it, but you're likely not going to know. I mean, you have to think when you think about money that you're using in retirement, it's the healthiest to always think about what happens at the other extreme if you live a lot longer than you might expect. I mean, if you have pre-existing health problems and your lifespan is not likely to be as positive as maybe the average is, then that would lend more towards you taking a lump sum and moving on. But if you're in generally average health or above, particularly if you're above average health, then it starts making a lot more sense for you to take a monthly check at age 60 or 65. Clark, uh, what about the solvency of GE? I know that there's been some some press about their fiscal health. So your pension becomes an obligation of the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation in the event that GE fails, and it could mean that you would see a haircut on what kind of monthly pension benefit you would have. The formulas are pretty complicated, but ultra-high income earners see a big haircut on pensions. More modest income earners see little or no haircut on their pensions. Okay. So, I mean, but there there bad. is... So, let me go back one step, okay? Okay. Even though the the general best answer is that you take the money as a monthly check later in life... It's not the only answer. And if you have enough questions about longevity, the health of GE financially, that you want to go ahead and take the money earlier, then take the money earlier, take the lump sum. Today's Clark Rageous moment is one of those things that just really frustrates me. You have probably heard the story, if you haven't, I'll share it with you now, about Jason Gonzalez, 21 years old, lives in Minnesota. He's a college student. And he defrays some of his expenses for college doing something that is really wonderful and entrepreneurial. There's no Krispy Kreme in Minnesota anymore. So he drives, this is crazy, two plus hours each way to the closest Krispy Kreme in Iowa, buys a ton of Krispy Kreme donuts, brings them back to Minnesota. There's no crime for bootlegging, bringing donuts across state lines. And then he sells the donuts in bulk. You know, he buys them in bulk, sells them by the dozen, already in the boxes Krispy Kreme has them in. And he makes a markup on importing those donuts and selling them to Krispy Kreme fanatics. He gets no discount from Krispy Kreme for buying the donuts in bulk. But not only is he not getting a discount, he's now been told by Krispy Kreme that although they appreciate his passion, that he's creating a liability for them by selling the donuts 
and they won't sell them to them anymore. My goodness. Well, what about all the charities that buy Krispy Kreme donuts in bulk and then they sell them by the box? I mean, Krispy Kreme's always encouraged. Are they not creating the same liability? They are. There are times you just say, isn't that neat that this college student is helping pay his way by being that enterprising and keeping the love for Krispy Kreme alive in a state that doesn't have it anymore? Come on, Krispy Kreme. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website, and throughout the Christmas shopping season, we are serving you night and day at ClarkDeals.com. We also have a free daily newsletter of the latest deals that we'll send to you, and our goal is to help you save money on those purchases you're going to make not just for Christmas, but on things you buy all through the year. So I have had the privilege for the last almost seven years to drive a Tesla. And when I first got a Tesla, it was a pretty rare thing. Now they're becoming very common. In fact, the Tesla Model 3 is one of the best-selling vehicles in the United States now. But Tesla's had something unique from the beginning. Not that it's an electric car, which it is, but that the car is like a rolling computer. And every time Tesla figures out a way to improve the vehicle, they send you a software update right through the thin air. They send you a notice and they say, download it when you want. And Teslas are always connected to the internet through cellular, or you also can connect it to your home, Wi-Fi. And so when an improvement comes along, you just download it. And I'll give you an example of it. My Tesla um, has self-driving capability. And when I first got the self-driving capability, it was pretty pitiful. You know, there's alpha, then there's betas. And then there's regular. <laughs> it was an alpha. It wasn't even a beta yet. It was, it was very rough. But they continually have updated it and updated it and updated it. And now the self-driving is extraordinary. Where you just set it when you're on a freeway and it drives perfectly. The most expensive Teslas have a version that changes freeways automatically for you so when you've told it where you're going it'll automatically change from at an interchange from one freeway number to another and it does it all by itself and i'm telling you it drives much better than i do as a human but the key that made it work is that everything they do is about continuous improvement where they send the updates it's the envy of the automobile industry ford is now going to do over-the-air updates just like Tesla. All models that are introduced starting in 2020 will come with this capability so that the vehicle that comes off the assembly line is not the vehicle that will remain over the years. 
is they learn how to do different things better on the vehicle, it will in fact get those updates immediately. No having to go back to the dealer. They will just come right through the thin air. And I will tell you, having experienced it, it is a game changer. And I think it's something that you'll see all automakers adopt. Ed is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ed. How's it going, Clark? Great. Thank you, Ed. Speaking of vehicles, you're helping your brother. Tell me about how you're helping him with the vehicle. Okay. Uh, well, my brother lives in Florida, and I'm up here in Kansas, and he is a uh, electrician. He's been doing that for quite a few years and recently broke off and started his own business. And so <clears throat> he's been well, congratulations new... to him. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And so he's looking at getting a new van. Um, he was kind of thinking of new, but, you know, I kind of worry with him being a new business owner, you know, maybe not seeing everything that's going to come at him. What's his best, best option? Should he be looking at buying new leasing or maybe buying something a few years old? So is this a work truck or do you mean a family van? It's a work truck. So he's an electrician, so he carries a lot of tools, a lot of equipment. So I think his current truck, it's a 2006. It's got quite a bit of rust and, you know, it's been in and out of shop a lot lately. So, you know, it's costing him money. Well, the van market, the work van market, has gone through a significant change because of something that it's we were just talking about, Ford. But what Ford did years ago when they came out with the Transit Connect line, which are work trucks that are designed from the ground up to have more space in them in a smaller right. footprint. And now uh, Nissan sells their version and... Mercedes and I think Dodge sells them. I mean, they're they're very, very common today. And so they've been out long enough that your brother can certainly look at buying a used one instead of buying a new one and find a, a work truck that a, should do a good job for him because I hate for him starting out in a new business to lay out the kind of capital or ongoing monthly expense of a brand new work van. That's exactly what I was thinking. And so you've got, let me see, I'm looking, who all makes these? Um, Ford has um, more than a dozen versions of it. Mercedes has like half a dozen. Nissan has one. Um, There's a Chevy GMC version. I don't know what that one looks like. I'm most familiar with the the Ford Mercedes and the Nissan ones. He was talking about that Ford Transit was the one he was interested in. And the Transit comes, it's uh, Transit Connect is like almost like a sub-brand of Ford for work trucks, and they come in different sizes. And right. so he he really needs to look at the the size of each of them, how many of his tools each can hold. And then with any that he would consider buying, it's really important with a work truck because you never know how beat up they get, that he have it checked out by a mechanic of his choosing before he buys a used one. Okay. 
but they are they are something that's really proven the test of time and have generally been reliable that they've taken over that truck market and good luck to him in the business thanks Clark. aaron is with us on the clark howard show hello aaron hi aaron you're moving we are to colorado are you a skier no i've never skied in my life (laughs) well you're gonna have to learn yes we will all learn (laughs) well how can i help with your move to colorado you and seems like everybody else in america is moving to colorado in fact if i remember right yours is the third call i've had about moving to colorado in not that many weeks oh my gosh well it's a great state and we're moving from texas to colorado and well, I'm not really anxious about the move, but rather how to get um, a home uh, loan. Um, I don't know how that works when you are trying to buy out of state. We do plan to make a trip or two to look at homes. Um, but how in the world do you secure a home loan when you're living out of state? Well, th- you know, you can you can borrow money for a mortgage is really uh, it's a 50 state market now so you don't have to worry so much about the fact that you're a texan who's going to live in colorado the national lenders make loans pretty much all around the country and they hold mortgage licenses in virtually if not all 50 states okay so that will not be a problem for you but what i always get nervous about is you going right in and buying a home in Colorado. Are you going to be in the Denver metro area, or where are you going to be? Uh, the Colorado Springs area. The Springs is wonderful. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a less complicated housing market than the Denver metro area, but I'm always a fan when you move to a new state, to an unfamiliar area, that you also consider when you go look the possibility of renting a home, at least at first, instead of buying one. Yes, we have considered that. Um, we're still in the decision-making process, but the, I think the other thing that we're really concerned about um, is the fact that my husband is self-employed. He's been running his own handyman business for two years now, well, two and a half years, and he's done really well. And evidently, we've discovered that there's a great market for that in the Springs area, but I don't know. That's, I know that's going to sound really funny when we talk to maybe a mortgage broker um, and tell them that we've just up and decided to do this without without any other motivator than just wanting to be in Colorado. Don't worry about that. People, as I'm okay. telling you, people are moving to Colorado all the time. It's just okay. in is a place to live. And when you talk to a mortgage broker, if you have a really experienced mortgage broker, um, the fact that your husband is self-employed, it'll be something they're used to. Oh, The documentation that will be required to secure a loan is more extensive in terms of financial records when somebody's self-employed. And it is possible, depending on the underwriting criteria with different lenders, that you might face a slightly higher interest rate because Mm. your husband is self-employed instead of having a normal W-2. Okay. 
Okay, well, then I'll stop worrying about it. Those are our two big issues. Don't worry. Be happy. (laughs) But really, go on your visits. Please go in with an open mind about the idea of renting instead of necessarily buying right away. Okay, thank you. I'll be a lot more comfortable. I won't worry about you if you keep that open mind. How's that? Okay, that sounds good. Thank you so much. All right, have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Todd is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Todd. How you doing? Hey, Clark. It's Todd here, and I am a, I am a thrifty guy, just like you. But I'm not a a, a cutting edge electronics kind of guy. But I know you are. You're both of those things. So I've got a question for you about a maybe a ten year old house with a. You know, I've, I've uh, my house is pre LED lighting fixtures, but you know now LED lighting fixtures have come way down. But all my bulbs are finally going out of the the squiggly kind, the CFCs, I think you call them CFLs. But, uh, yeah, CFLs, CFLs. Okay, but you know they're all going out now, and and uh, you know if you put an LED bulb in an old fixture, you get some savings, right? But is it really better just to get a whole new LED fixture now that they're sort of reasonably priced? Not or, really. I mean, you're, you're going to kill a lot of your savings unless you want to redecorate. <laughs> just put an LED bulb in where you've had the CFLs. Okay. All right. Yeah. So there's not that much savings with the, the whole new fixture. But if one a fixture completely dies, then go with the whole new fixture or or you want a different one yeah because the led bulbs just by the nature of an led bulb you're going to burn a lot less electricity now you're not going to earn like if you go from a traditional bulb to an led you'll usually cut your energy consumption by about 85 to 92 percent but if you go from a compact fluorescent like you've had to an led your energy savings are going to be more in the range of like 20-25%. So it's not going to be the huge shift, but the LED bulbs give a better light, a truer light. They come on full bore right away, where with the CFLs, you know how there's like that warm-up phase that they have before they give a really robust light. Uh So, So the LEDs are so cheap now, too. I mean, you can buy them is low as a dollar a bulb but led bulbs because they're little computer chips that operate them can be pretty much any shade or color when you're looking at them make sure you get one that's the color shade that you like which is usually what we're used to in a home is soft white that sounds good that sounds good and a dollar a dollar a piece that's the target to look at that's the number you want to try to hit so that you're paying as little money as you possibly can for every bulb you change out. The funny thing is I was putting up some LED bulbs last week, and it's weird to think that they'll probably outlive me. Adam is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Adam, you have a new feature in your 401k plan at work. Tell me about it. Hey, Clark. It's good to talk with you. Good to have you here. Thank you. So, uh, I have a 401k, it's a traditional through my employer, and then I also have the Roth uh, IRA, and my employer now is going to start a Roth 401k, and so I just, I know you always said to have the traditional 
uh, 401k and the Roth IRA. And I was just wondering what your advice would be uh, if I should take that or not and have two Roths or keep, keep it as is. And can I ask what kind, are you single or married? Uh, single. And can I ask kind of generally what kind of income you have? Income as far as just uh, what you make, amount or yeah, what employer. you make per year, yeah. Oh, um, about sixty-six thousand. Definitely, positively, absolutely, do the Roth four hundred one k. Roth four hundred one k, okay. Yeah, because your tax bracket is really favorable, and mm-hmm. generally now, for a single individual. For 2020, income's up to 160000 a year. If you're given a choice between a Roth 401k and a traditional, do the Roth. Because tax rates are unusually low right now. That's why we're running these massive budget deficits. Mm-hmm. And at some point, we're going to say, oh, we got to pay these, these bills we owe for these huge budget deficits that are approaching a trillion dollars each year. And so tax rates are going to go up at some point. And in retirement, they may even be higher than they are now, even if you're making a lower income in retirement. And so there's an enormous advantage right now to doing a Roth rather than a traditional. Oh, wonderful. And all those numbers I just gave are doubled for married couples. So income's up to 320000 a year for a married couple. Doing a Roth 401k is a much better choice now under the current tax code than doing traditional. And I used to do it based on age. Not right now with those incomes. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.